You are listening to the Brew Time Podcast. This is a podcast all about doing content differently. I'm your host, Fiona. I am a content consultant and copywriter for vegan businesses and sustainable brands. Now, today on the podcast, I am chatting to Cara and the Cara from Cara and the Sky, which is a vegan sustainable sweater brand, perfect for this freezing weather that has just um, come in this week. If you are listening to it this week when it's been launched, we have had Storm Arwen here in the UK this week. Um, so me and Cara, we have a chat about starting a your own fashion business, about using in, Instagram influences and some of the great things that she is doing on Instagram to market her business all by herself. She's an absolute inspiration and you are going to get a lot out of this episode, especially if you are trying to DIY quite a lot in your business. Now, before we jump into it, I just want to let you know that this series, series two of the Brewtime podcast is brought to you in collaboration with the Happy Tea Company. Happy Tea Company is a sustainable tea company that is grown, herbs, everything grown right here in Worcestershire. It's absolutely amazing, herbal tea, and you should go check it out. The link is in the profile. And I do really enjoy having a virtual brew of the Happy Tea Company with my guests while we chat all about content and doing it differently. So I am going to let you dive straight into the conversation and how are you managing a business on your own with a baby? Um, I should have put this in the questions because that is such an important one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a challenge, not gonna lie. And um I put I, I tried to put in loads of processes and things for when she, the baby arrived to make my life easier to like have an assistant have a proper warehouse solution all these things and what every which way it's all gone wrong like everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong so it has been quite stressful uh, <laughs> to say the least but it's just you get through it and it's horrendous for the moment and then you get through it you get out the other side and then you're like okay it's so let me get this straight. You have um, launched a new season of knitwear, had a new baby, and you're doing this all pretty much by yourself. Yeah. You are Wonder Woman. <laughs> no, no. If it was all functioning perfectly, then I'd be Wonder Woman, but it's not. Like, you know, the brand isn't getting its full attention. The baby's not getting her full attention. My poor husband getting his bed like you know it's just I haven't seen friends in years it feels like you know you have to sacrifice for the moment but the season comes to a close around you know Jan Feb it trails off and then I'm just going to take some time off um then to just take a couple of months in between the collections not do a summer collection um and just chill for a bit <laughs> spend some time with Maisie <laughs> that sounds like a good plan and I get. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't look like it from the outside that there's anything other than things going right. So keep it that way. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. It's hard because you don't want to say too much of the problem because it's a bit doom and gloom. But also, I try and say a little bit to keep it like this is a real business and like stuff goes wrong and that's okay that stuff goes wrong and everyone should know that things go wrong because every business has things that go wrong. You know, no business in the history of the world has ever run smoothly um but it's like that fine line of like how much detail to actually go in like the real nitty-gritty of <laughs> but it humanizes it as well though which is it's great I, and yeah. it's your second birthday 
congratulations <laughs> yes is it yes um no it's our third birthday we've been oh, well, the first, well the first collection launched in october 2019 so oh no it's yeah sorry it's second sorry <laughs> it's a i it, I was questioning my maths then, and I'm yeah, going. No, is I was it, like, it's a year one, so then year two is your first birthday. Got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just past our second birthday. It, it feels longer because obviously you start way before you even launch the collection, and you know this is all I lived and breathed for the last few years. So um, it literally feels a lot longer than <laughs> years. And like most of most of the time you have existed as a brand, it's been pandemic and lockdown and that is stuff no business can ever anticipate in a launch. How no. was that? Mad. It weirdly ended up working in our favour. Um, it was very touch and go whether we'd, I'd even be able to have a second collection because I designed it all if, because I've, I've got... Um, the wholesale side of my business everything gets designed like in, well I'm designing it now so you sample it and you show the collection in like Dan Feb and that's when all the wholesale stockists place pre-orders and that's kind of what I go from to move forward with the collection um but obviously when the pandemic hit everything just stopped everyone shut everyone panicked there were no orders coming in and I was like I might not be able to carry on with my brand like I might have to skip a season because it the first collection I bought up front and then sold it after but after for the second collection I was like I can't do that again I need to ensure I've got a threshold of orders to sell um to fund it and you know just be a responsible person um so it was really touch and go but then as things people kind of got into the groove of it orders started to come in um and then it got to a point where I could move forward so I went forward with a, a smaller collection than what was planned managed to negotiate less units with the factories which was great um and then once we actually launched it went mad because all people were looking for was like nice cozy comfy knitwear to lounge around home in style um and the fact that it was all British and that I'm an independent brand it really lent itself to what people were looking for like supporting local small businesses um so it went it literally went mad and I ended up in 65 boutiques across the UK and Ireland whereas the previous year I was only in five so it just it really blew up um so yeah we were very very lucky that we I decided to do a knitwear brand rather than a dresses brand <laughs> Um, but it's really interesting because on the flip side I always knew it was going to be a possibility this season it we're still doing really well but it's been a harder sell because we're up against different product areas where I wasn't last year so all you're going out all your dresses people haven't bought a dress in a year and that's what everyone's buying now so the growth I saw last year I isn't the growth it's not doing the same again in that like insane steep up uphill thing um we've still got growth but it's it's a different kind of growth um so it's just it's just interesting like covid isn't over and the effects of the pandemic we are certainly not through and it will carry on changing and the way the boutiques buy has completely changed they used to all buy up front now a lot of them don't they're 
liking to be able to buy in season and buy smaller um because they get scared as well you know they don't want to be lumbered with a load of stock like they were in the summer last year um I do find all this really interesting in how it all works like because to someone at the who's in the shop buying the sweater they don't consider like the whole chain of events that gets that sweater into that boutique even yeah. though a lot of people I know and a lot of like myself included I always look at like the provenance of things that I buy um but the way you describe it makes it sound like these changes while problematic for how you plan that's probably good for sustainability though isn't it if they're just yeah. ordering what they need it is for the shops it is for a brand, it's very tricky to know how much to order in advance. Um, so they'll get an element of pre-orders. And also because I've only, you know, I'm so new, I don't know if that trend is a trend, like X amount's going to be booked up front and X amount will be booked in season. But I just need to, you know, take a punt basically and hope that, to be fair, I always go a little bit under. I'd rather sell out than be overstocked in terms of having sustainability element and you know making it a workable brand you don't want to end up with loads of stock um hanging around um but then on the flip side to that again is the way I design the collection it is seasonless and it is trendless so I've got pieces from my first collection that I'm still selling now and you know I'll reshoot it and like make it look fresh and new and because of the way it's been designed it doesn't look like it's from you know, three seasons ago, it just looks like beautiful, amazing knitwear. Um, so it's finding the balance. Um, it's great for the boutique to have that um, flexibility. So yeah, it just does. It makes it a bit more tricky on my side to know how much to order. Um, like already now, I know I haven't ordered enough of some of my key styles. But it's good to sell out and create that demand. <laughs> I guess the longer that you do this, the more data you'll have, so you'll know. Because you're quite new, you don't you don't know yet. You don't know what you don't know because you, you don't have the data there. But no, and um, you know what areas of the business am I going to see the most growth in? I thought it was you know my UK boutiques, but they've done well. They've you know we've done very well, but it, I can see it's kind of leveling off now. I've just launched on Wolf and Badger the um, marketplace, and that's just gone absolutely mad. Um, and uh, I hadn't even planned for those sales. Um, so it's yeah it's all new all exciting all crazy <laughs> so t- tell us about how you started car on the sky and what was your inspiration behind it because I love that this story that you've got on your website is absolutely lovely oh <laughs> thank you um so I've been in fashion my entire career um for over 12 years now um but I didn't do a fashion degree or anything I did sociology at university so everyone who thinks that you have to do a fashion degree in fashion you don't you just have to be very determined um so I got work experience at Dorothy Perkins um in my first year uh summer holidays and I'd always been interested in fashion my mum was a fashion designer my grandparents in the shop so it's always been in our blood um I did the buying work experience and I thought right this is what I want to do. I want to be a buyer. I can see myself doing this. Everyone said, no, you can't do it. You have to be a merchandiser. You haven't got a degree. Da, da, da. I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And then from that moment on, I just threw myself, got as much work experience as humanly possible, 
worked at a supplier every one summer. I worked at the Bryland, had work experience there, and then luckily landed like a month turn um, internship at Ted Baker, which kind of really where I started my career properly. Um, then worked on the shop floor at Ted Baker um, for a few months, and then got the buyer's admin assistant entry level job, which um, you know, and then I was in in head office. <laughs> Um, so I stayed at TED for about five years, which was an amazing experience, like an incredible brand to work for and to learn from. Um, then I moved to Select, which was a fast fashion women's wear brand, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Very different customer, <laughs> very different way of buying. Like it was, you know, going from high end to high street. It was very different, but an amazing experience. Um, then I went to M Co, which was a more um, middle of the market for a slightly older demographic um a bit similar to M&S if not everyone knows about M&Co um and I was on the plus and petite department and that's where I really honed in my knitwear my love of knitwear and my skills and I bought the um the the knitwear range for the plus and petite department there um and then after that I went to a brand called Lost Binks which um is not everyone again not everyone's heard of it was a smaller boutique brand only wholesale led so they didn't have their own store or their own shop and it was all through um wholesale so we sold on asos and Zalando, and i was a knitwear buyer um for them and then sadly after two years the investors pulled out and the brand went on <laughs> so what's betting um and i'd really found like a good niche and a good hand writing of knitwear I was always very heavily involved in the creative development side um, was my inspiration. I didn't sketch it, but it was, you know, very involved with that. Um, and then when we all got made redundant, that was in April 2019, fashion industry was already not looking great. Obviously, it was got a lot worse <laughs> during the pandemic, but it was already quite um, not in a good state. And I thought, I really, you know... Do I want to go and work for another brand that's, you know, not necessarily doing well? Like no one seems to be doing well. Um, do I want to work again for someone else and for their decisions um, to affect my life and what I'm doing and to work so hard for two years? Like we killed ourselves and for it to all be over in a second because of other people's decisions. It's just like, hmm, maybe I can do my own brand. <laughs> maybe you know I've got the knitwear it's working like my styles were going on ASOS and selling out in a week I was like okay this this could work let's you know always wanted to own my own business let's give it a go I don't have children yet you know this is the time I can just throw myself into something um so that's kind of where where it came from and I'd already worked with the manufacturer who I worked who I partnered with um previously so I knew their quality I knew their pricing we'd already had a relationship um and luckily they supported me and took you know we worked together because they've got to take a chance on a new unknown brand with smaller units um and there we are we, I designed the first collection got it made <laughs> and then tried to sell it <laughs> basically I love that I love how you put it so simply but I as you were saying that, I was like, it's really, it, there must be something really refreshing in the fact that you've learned the business side first, which means you know what people want, you know what sells, you know 
what you're looking for and what customers are looking for. And I think that probably shows through a hell of a lot (laughs) and that you've probably gone about it in a different way to other small designers and other small like boutique companies, knitwear companies that probably start with the, I'm a knitwear designer first. How do I turn this into a business? Yes, definite difference between designer who is a true designer led businesses and a buyer or a, someone who's come from my kind of part of the industry. Um, yes, every time I design a collection, even though there's pieces and tr- no, even trend pieces, but styles, you're like, oh my God, that looks amazing. But then I'm like, no, put my commercial hat on. I know previously this does not sell. <laughs> so I'm just not going to do it. However cool, however amazing it looks like at the end of the day I want to make amazing knitwear but I want it to sell (laughs) and yes you have to try things and test the water but at the beginning um I'm quite even though this was a huge risk I am quite risk averse at the same time um (laughs) so it's just yeah making sure that whatever I do it I really believe in it and also I don't want to oversample when I create the collections everything I design goes into work and I actually create bar like you know the odd one or two um whereas previous companies I work for you sample and sample and sample and you have a huge amount of samples and it's a waste and you know it costs money and um so every style that I create I have to really believe in like really make sure that this is going to be a winner um just to kind of yeah make sure make sure that make sure it sells really at the end of the day (laughs) That's great because that, that's what it needs to do, isn't it? And yeah. that can sometimes be forgotten in the process. I also love what um, what is behind your name because the brand name is Car in the Sky and it's create a right attitude and reach the sky. I mean, like, how inspiring <laughs> is that? Yes. It was, yeah, it's just the whole idea that if you believe in yourself, live life to the full, um, have the right mindset, then you know you can act, you can achieve anything the sky's the limit for what you can do and I always say I'm not anyone special you know I just am a normal person I've just worked a normal career and if I've managed to do this there's no reason why anyone else can't do this as well you just have to really want it and be willing to work hard because <laughs> like, it's not easy <laughs> this is definitely not easy um, where I was like oh you know how much hard it can it be to work for yourself I worked so hard already it's a thousand times harder um and yes I have an understanding of all costing and how to get a product made and uh, the production side of that there's so many other elements to a business that I just really didn't have any understanding or thought I did but really didn't and just had to learn on the go um things like just finance overall like doing a cash flow like yes I can negotiate cost price for a garment but there's so many other financial factors to a business um, and logistics has been my biggest challenge today. It's been a nightmare, to be honest, um, making sure that you've got somewhere to store the goods and you can send it out in a nice way and, you know, you can have that customer service. Um, so there's so many different, and sales as well. Like you have to become a salesperson if you're going down a wholesale route or even not. You have to um, be a marketeer. You have to be a social media guru. You know, you have to do all these things wear all these different hats and you just have to learn on you just have to learn <laughs> as you go <laughs> what's been the hardest thing you've had to learn which has been the one you've just been like 
the moment I make my millions, I am outsourcing this. Oh, well, I think logistics, which I am, I have outsourced now. Um, logistics has been the hardest, um, especially like it's knitwear, so it's chunky. And as the business is growing, the volumes are bigger. And you can only re- really fit like eight jumpers in a box at a time. So it's the volume at the beginning of the season before it all goes out to wholesale is overwhelming. And last year, well, for my first collection, I um, teamed up with a friend who had a startup fulfillment uh, center. Absolute disaster. <laughs> they just weren't set up for a business like mine. And it fast became quite apparent that this just wasn't going to work out. So left them after six weeks. But that was right at the beginning of the business. So it was very, very stressful. Moved it all in-house to a self-storage unit um, around the corner. Um, so then I, for the second season, I just picked and packed everything myself from my little self-storage unit. I literally did not leave that place for three months. I was there like up until midnight, like packing, cooking. Like, and some of these orders were like 100 unit orders for some of my wholesale customers. Like it was, it got big very quickly and very unmanageable. So I was like, right. I've got baby on the way let's outsource this so I did all my homework visited loads of places found um a third party who we were who I was going to use um moved to them in February so we had like a nice slow onboarding session um and then as soon as the season hit in in September it all just went terribly wrong the communication went wrong they weren't receiving things in they weren't sending stuff out I had like a big Canada order that they just refused to do so me my dad my sister and baby Maisie had to go to the warehouse and pick this order because they just weren't doing it it was like with Maisie was like eight weeks at that point (laughs) I couldn't even move I just had to direct whilst breastfeeding like in the middle of a warehouse (laughs) it was horrendous so anyway um they handed me my notice of Turns out they landed three new big customers and didn't need me anymore. And it's business at the end of the day. Um, and I was too small and they didn't need me. So um, I've just moved into a new warehouse, which has been a challenge as well, because we're right in the middle of the busiest part of my season, getting phase two out to all the wholesale customers, getting, you know, the websites building, everything's building. And it's been very, very stressful. But we're there, we've moved over. Thankfully, all my customers and stockers have been so patient and so understanding, which is great. They're small businesses, I'm a small business, you know, everyone is, you know, they were very understanding. Um, and hopefully this one will work out, um, <laughs> basically. It's this awful limbo land and I'm a little bit bigger now so I can't manage it myself but I'm actually too small for anyone really to take serious so it's like trying to find the right companies to work with that respect that you're a small growing brand and that's okay for them and that fits in with their business model as well it's just quite um a challenge (laughs) very long story (laughs) also I think that's a challenge that a lot of product-based businesses will have that they're probably not aware of when they go into business they just think it'll be it's not one of those things that pops into your head now I want to talk about the your your sweaters themselves they are beautiful but they're also vegan and sustainably made which 
when that press release went out that you'd sent, I was like, I need to interview her. I went and looked at <laughs> your Instagram and I'm like, I need to speak to this person because they are making these beautiful sweaters and really cares about where they come from. So how much of this is influenced by what your brand stands for and how much is this influenced by you as the person running the brand? Um, It's a mixture, I would say. I think definitely in the past few, you know, few years, I've become a lot more conscious of how I shop and where I shop um and what my clothes are made of or not um and where they're produced especially knowing you know being in the industry for so long and knowing what China product is and what Bangladesh product is and I can see it as soon as I walk into a shop where the products are made based on the quality I've been trained to look for it um and there's always this notion that UK production is insanely expensive and not workable but actually it is workable and it's you know it might cost a little bit more than China but you don't have to worry about shipping it over from China which I'm very pleased especially with Brexit and pandemic and everything that I did go down the UK route. um but yeah so it's, it's influenced by me just wanting to make a conscious brand I think anyone who's starting a business right now has to think about the sustainable elements to it and sustainability is a huge vast topic and you can never necessarily hit absolutely every sustainable point but I think you have to be aware and you have to be conscious you have to be responsible if you're bringing new products into the world that you're doing it in a mindful way so all my packaging is eco-friendly um the yarns um, don't aren't derived from any animal materials. Um, eventually, I do want to move into more recycled yarns. Um, but again, as a small brand and keeping the price point where it is, that's a bit more of a challenge right now. But that is where I want the brand to go. Um, and then just the way it's designed to give it that longevity. It's a quality piece that it is going to last. Um, and like I said before, it's it's on trend but trendless at the same time so you can wear it put it away for next winter bring it back out and it's going to be just as relevant you know it's the old whole idea that you can slow fashion down just really fall in love with your piece and um you know not treat it as throwaway fashion I just want you to love it and I always say if you just buy one piece from me and never come back that's absolutely fine I'd actually prefer that just buy that one piece love it forever and you know I think that's such a lovely message to convey. Um, but also at the same time, your messaging is that of you're having fun. You come across, I don't know if you know that it comes across in like on your website and in your social media and everywhere, that you are having so much fun while doing this. Although I'd say from our <laughs> earlier conversation, maybe the fun is less fun on your side. <laughs> I'm glad it's coming across that way. <laughs> no, I no, I like I am having it's been an insane experience like my family are very supportive and very hands-on and I say to my mum like you know what what only I get us doing waking up at like 6am to go to a market setting up our market stall. I have to rope in my cousins my aunts my uncles like anyone who will come and help and I'm like what only we're getting up to but then as she said it's like well what else would we be doing we're going on the most biggest adventure and you know, we wouldn't be sitting at home doing nothing. So, you know, it's great. Um, yeah, 
you have to keep it has to be fun otherwise what's the point <laughs> and there definitely are moments where it gets too much and it gets overwhelming and I think why am I doing this like I should just go get a normal job and I could have had a normal mat leave and not have to you know close the laptop at 5 30 but in reality it's never like that anyway um and then I remember all the reasons why I'm doing this you know I really want to build something that you know hopefully will last hopefully will have a legacy um and I'm working for myself and once we get through the the new stage and I'm a bit more established and hopefully can expand and hire some people to help <laughs> then uh, <laughs> you know I can make my own rules and I can have that work-life balance that everyone aspires to that would be amazing and I'm sure you can do that and make your business work to how you want your life to work <laughs> it is doable I'll give you that one um you also call your community the sky babes which yes Sky babe, they are um, it's amazing the community that I've built um over a relatively short space of time. The influencers that I work with have been incredibly supportive. Some of them I've worked with all the way from the first collection and honestly they go above and beyond and I'm always so overwhelmed by their generosity of their time um, and their creativity. And my customers as well, they, I've got some lifers really that have bought maybe six or seven pieces from me. And, you know, we, we're friends now, we chat, we DM, we're, how are you? How are your children? You know, it's, um, it's really wonderful. And it's without Instagram, I wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, especially as I don't have a shop, um, I've been in pop-ups, which is great. And that's why I do my markets as well, because it allows me to meet people in real life and see that reaction face to face which obviously you don't get when you're shopping online um but yeah if, if it wasn't for social media the brand would look very different I think I just want to <laughs> dig into like the influencer marketing because I think it's a very misunderstood way of marketing even though it existed long before social media <laughs> We've had influence our entire lives. They just called it celebrities, you know. <laughs> exactly. So how have you done it? How have you gone out and built relationships with the people? And are they now integral to your business? Are, are you friends with them, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Um, I think at the beginning, it was just reaching out, like really researching who is um, aligned with your brand um you know I've got all these different elements that it's a positive brand it's a sustainable undertone to the brand um it's all about being a free spirit being bright and colorful you know not every influencer or not every person aligns to that so I really did my homework research started reaching out um I actually had a launch party back in the day when we did things like that um <laughs> I invited a whole load down and then built the relations from there and the ones that was kept in touch with um yeah we we like chat we keep in you know make keep in touch really um I always try and make sure I meet the people I'm working with and now the world of zoom and virtual coffee games actually made it so much more easier to do whereas before you wouldn't really think you know having a Skype a bit odd um but 
now we, uh, the influencers are all over the country and we can just pop on. I had one yesterday um, with a new influencer I've just been starting working with and I really like to get to know them and hear their story and find out why they're doing what they're doing, what they're doing outside influencing, just to have that connection. And then I think it really shows through the content that they make for me. It's not just, here's a picture. Like, you know, it, it helps everything flow together and fit together. Um, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to do. It's hard to find the time, especially if you're working with quite a few influencers. But for me, it's all about relationships and all, all about being pers- personal um, and putting a face to the name. Um, so, so, yeah, I really try and make sure it's not just a transaction thing. It's like we're building something together and we're going to support each other together. I guess by using influencers, you're, you're kind of saying to your customers, you can see yourself in what I'm creating. Absolutely. And that's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. It, yeah and it's so the reaction we get from obviously I've got all my photo shoots which are amazing but um when the people see it on real life people that's what really gets an even better reaction and I haven't been able to do shoots at the moment but for the previous collections I would just go out with my cousins and do like a massive photo shoot like in Hanford Heath or in Camden um and you know they're real people and it's not the prettiest it's not the skinniest it's whatever they're just normal people and people respond to that because you know they can see themselves in it I love that and that will that comes into one of the questions I want to ask you in a bit but I kind of want to um, go into because I I did put a question in in for you that um, like a lot of product-based businesses will get stuck on which platform to use first you are very clearly very emotionally attached and invested in Instagram and yes. you said Instagram is <laughs> has really helped support your business how did you think about that when you first started and has was it difficult at first to focus on Instagram and not get sidetracked by the other social media channels um I was very one-minded also my social media skills are quite limited um <laughs> so TikTok was never going to be a thing for me um I remember I went to a um a conference um a social media conference and TikTok had only just started to like bubble up to the surface and they had a stand there and me and my friend at the time we went over and we're like oh what's TikTok and they're like oh you haven't heard of TikTok we're like no what is this literally like two months later biggest thing ever um but I am very time poor and I don't have the skill set to necessarily create these videos. And also, you know, obviously Instagram's gone down that route now with all the reels, which is a challenge because my Instagram following and growth is not as big as it should be. And it's because I'm not doing reels, but I don't have the time or the skill set to really dedicate to it. And on the flip side, I should carve out that time because that is where my growth is. It's so, you know, all a balance. Um, but I was always just going to focus on Instagram because it was the most visual and the most for me the easiest way to get to reach a bigger wider audience um, on a budget really <laughs> that makes sense and it's one that you enjoy using so yeah so just going back to when you were saying you're getting your cousins and your sisters modeling the clothes and it's it's normal people when I was looking through all your designs I'm like they seem very body positive so 
how do you negotiate like all the different body types that you've got to design for in one design, all the different body sizes and shapes and things? Because that is a challenge, isn't it, for any clothing, especially knitwear? Yes, and especially I've only got three sizes at the moment because as a small brand, that's all I can do at the moment. (laughs) Um, I mean, all the blocks are really oversized anyway because I love a slouchy giant jumper. I love a balloon sleeve. Um, so it kind of lends itself that you've got a bit more, um, space, that's the wrong word. You know, you've got, um, between the sizes, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot of yarn in it. Um, so I made sure that when I was great, when you create a, a style, you, you always base it off one size. So I always sample it in a medium and then you do grading, which is when you change the measurements make them smaller or make them bigger for the other sizes so I've made sure that there is quite a big difference between the three different sizes so the small is a six to eight so that's eight is for the smaller the medium is uh 12 10 to 14 so that's like middle of the range and then the large goes up to a size 20 um to really be able to cater for as many body types as possible as a small new brand um eventually I do want to introduce an XL which I hate the label but like to be able to cater for even a true plus size customer which I know I don't quite get there yet but just making sure that the styles are flattering um I really do pay attention to fit um even though they're lovely big slouchy jumpers they've got to be flattering big slouchy jumpers and the way that the cables fit and the way that I do a lot of mixed stitches that they've got to cut you in the right place. And it's all learning. You know, every time I have a collection, it's I see how people are wearing it. Um, I learn from it. I tweak it. I move on. Um, but I really wanted to have a brand that everyone could wear, um, that you didn't feel like you were a particular body type and also a particular age. Um, the way that the brands moved. Originally, when I first designed it, it was designed for a much younger audience. Um, but as I started selling it, I realized it appeals to everyone. I sell the same jumper to a 15-year-old as a 60-year-old, and they both look amazing in it. Um, so it's really playing on the ageless style factor that you know anyone can wear this brand. However, whatever size you are, whatever age you are, you can wear it, and it's made for you. I think that's excuse me I think that's fantastic because there is nothing more fun as an older woman to wear something and go out in the street and see a teenager wearing it <laughs> and see the look on their face and I'll just have a chuckle to myself because I was once that teenager going yeah but it still looks good <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I've got an example on my Instagram of one of the influencers that I've uh, recently worked with it's a mother and daughter and they're both wearing the Bella jumper in different colors and they both look amazing in it and it's kind of highlighting that fact that yeah anyone it's this brand is for everyone it's not just for one person or one type of person which in the fashion industry is goes against the grain normally it's like who's your target customer when you're doing your business plans and you know you're presenting to people and I say my target customer is between 25 and 85 they're like 
well, that's not defined enough. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I don't need to be defined. <laughs> Changing the rules. <laughs> I like that. I think that's like with sweaters. You can get away with that. If you think back to those 80s, everyone on the in their Christmas jumpers together and they're all matching. There is something nice and homely about having a family of sweaters. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the dream is eventually to make mini me's. So like to have matching kids jumpers and then also matching dog jumpers as well and have the whole family. <laughs> oh, that would be fantastic. I'd love to see like... The whole family with the dog as well. In a couple of years' time, in a couple of years' time. Excellent. How do you come up with your collection names as well? Because, like, naming a business, naming anything is difficult. So how do you find the inspiration to do that? Um, All the names are actually family. It started with all my family. Um, So, for example, the Ricky Cardigan is after my husband, Richard. The Stevie cardigan is after my dad, Steve. <laughs> um, the Ali is my mom. Um, so it's starting from there. And then after after that, it was people who've supported the brand, so friends who've really like and gone above and beyond to support me. Um, from photographers that have helped and supported, from makeup artists, the stylists, it's kind of whoever's been and touched the brand that's who it ends up being named after um just to give them all little personalities <laughs> that is I'm so glad I asked that question that is like the nicest way to name anything I think. <laughs> and I love it when I finally get to a new friend I'm like this is your jumper and they're like oh my god <laughs> I hope it sells <laughs> that's like it's like book dedications but with clothes yeah <laughs> And your images are all beautiful as well. Like they convey so much, like obviously what the, the your knitwear looks like on, but also the fun as well. And they're so beautifully shot. Oh, thank and you. you know it can make or break a, a brand and your sales, like the quality of your photos. Um, the question I had for you was, do you prefer stills or videos? But I kind of think you've answered that with the whole Reels TikTok thing. <laughs> I, yes, I do have um, some video content that I shot from my last lookbook campaign which I introduced every now and then but um for me especially where I am in my life with Maisie it's really hard to create the content um especially doing videos and then finding the time to edit it it's I find it very challenging so that's why I've kind of stuck to skills at the moment (laughs) um but you know it's an evolution the first lookbook that I shot ended up being way too young the model was beautiful but it was actually almost alienating customers because they just saw it as a young brand I was like well no no you can wear it but the perception was that you couldn't and then like my first official e-com shot shoot that I did I ended up not putting in enough money kind of doing it really budget and it showed you know the we didn't use a proper studio we didn't have proper lighting so all the images just looked awful I mean, like, they look great, but the quality wasn't there. Um, So every time I do another shoot, I learn a little bit more, and it's a complete evolution. And every time I land a shoot and think, oh, my God, that is it. That is exactly what I want my brand to look like. The next week, I'm like, oh, actually, no, maybe we should move it into this direction or that direction and where the customer is going and what different markets I'm going in. Um, I sell to Canada, which um, is an expanding market for me. I'm in about... 16 boutiques over there 
So also now when I'm doing my shoots, I kind of need to think about all the different types of customers I'm trying to cater for in this one shoot. Again, because I haven't got the budget to do multiple shoots at the moment. So I've got to cater for the UK boutique uh, customer, who is one type, the Canada customer, who's another type, my website customer, who is, again, another type of person, and trying to pull all those elements, still making it commercial, but still making it have a point of difference um you know choosing the right model choosing the right styling it's a whole heap goes into planning these shoots so I'm really pleased that you said you like them (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever considered that where your photos are going to be shown like the international side of it has an impact on the photography you have that's that's something I've never considered absolutely um yeah, because it's got to appeal to their type, their customer as well. And obviously they're buying into the brand as the brand is, but it's still got to appeal to them. Um, and it's got to, you know, I try and make it leave a mark and have beautiful images that show off the clothes to the best to the best they can. And but as I say, it, it evolves and it, it changes daily. And the way I'm planning my shoots for next year, I'm going to mix it up where I would do my full-blown campaign shoot at the same time as my lookbook shoot right at the beginning of the season in January but actually do I need to do it then I could just do a scaled back studio shoot for that because it's a selling tool at the end of the day and then do the big campaign shoot later on in a couple of months once I've really bedded into the collection you know it just changes and I think you need to be agile in a business and be happy to move along and evolve and not just be like no this is it this is the one thing I want this is the way and that's it. Like it, you need to be open to feedback and constructive criticism and just take it all in, learn from it and, you know, make it better next time. <laughs> I, just, I just really am impressed by how much thought goes into photography, but also how much pressure there is on like these few photographs. That Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry for the photographs they're under you've got to do a very hard job photograph yeah they've got to work hard these <laughs> photographs and if you don't get it right like um you know it's all learning but there was a style last year that we shot our little pink pot cardigan and we shot it over a shirt and jeans like kind of like like almost officey vibe like quite cool didn't sell just didn't appeal to our customer and I loved it we loved the styling loved the image it's things like that you just learn and now I've reshot it over a satin dress uh or with like some flared jeans and now it's selling and it's just so interesting that imagery really has a huge impact on how something sells and you know you don't get it right all the time and that's okay you know you can't dwell on these things you just move on <laughs> learn from it and move on <laughs> that's so interesting that you test the styling and the photographs like that that I don't think many businesses will consider um, aren't my images selling my product. Yes. And I, yeah, because there are a few like slow sellers online, whereas in the market, they would sell perfectly well. And in the boutique, they would sell perfectly well. So I was like, why are they not shifting online? It's like, okay, the imagery isn't quite right. Fine. So next time, and that, yeah, so I've, I've reshot a lot of things this time round, just where I've got stock left, pockets of stock. I was like, let's, Let's try again. Let's see if we show you shoot it in a different way if that makes a difference. And yeah. <laughs> And then I, I want to understand like you as a business, do you find this big good strong community around other businesses that are 
you know, in that sustainable space, in that everything created in Britain space. Absolutely. Um, The independent business community is amazing. And again, that's something that I didn't even know really existed when I started the brand. And I'm so happy I'm in it because it's so supportive. Everyone just wants to help everyone. Um, I meet so many different business women at all the pop-ups that I do um, and all the markets that I do. And everyone is there wanting to do something a different way and create something new and special and have all the values behind it, which is just so refreshing coming from the fashion industry, which doesn't always hold those values, (laughs) depending (laughs) on what brand you're working for. Now people are moving a lot more in that direction, but um, it's just everyone's so supportive and you all have a chat and if you mention something, they're like, oh yes, I've got a friend who can help you there or yes, how have you thought about doing and everyone just wants everyone to succeed like there's no competitiveness there's no jealousy like if someone has a win everyone applauds them you don't think oh gosh wish I had that win no you just you just um thrive of their successes and learn from their successes um yeah it's it's an amazing community to be in um yeah I'm very happy happy to be in this space (laughs) Amazing. And which markets can people find you at? Um, so I do one called Duck Pond Markets. So they're a sustainable and um, ethical artisan market um, that they have in lots of different locations. But I normally show at Ricelip and Chiswick House, the ones I'm doing, but they have them in Richmond and Windsor, Highgate, kind of like all over. Um, but they're a really beautiful slightly higher end market but everything's there They've, it's curated like the product is beautiful the people are lovely um so yeah if you're looking for a christmas market in and around london go check them out on stockpond markets on instagram or their website <laughs> fantastic and i'm going to put all the links to your instagram and your shop in the blog as well so people can find you there. a marvel at how much hard work those photographs are doing <laughs> thank you uh, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time today I totally appreciate it it's so interesting hope everything was okay it was <laughs> I feel like I wobbled on quite I just want to say a huge thank you to Cara for spending her time with me on this podcast I hope you guys got a lot out of it it's such a hugely inspirational story and I really appreciate Cara for spending her time with me please do go and follow her on social media Check out the links. Um, every Thursday, I send out the Thursday Brew, a newsletter that um, takes inspiration from this podcast, but also shares some more deeper thoughts on how you can do content differently. It's, it's a lovely Thursday magazine, and you can sign up in the link in the profile, in the show notes. You can see how my day is going recording this. Um, and I will see you for the next virtual brew that I will be having with another brilliant business owner. Have a great week, guys.